Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to GranthamChurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. So glad that you're here. hope you've already received a blessing through uh, worship. Uh, the past couple of weeks, I've been addressing the most repeated responses that we received from a congregational exercise we did at the end of last year, uh, where we posed this. We said, with God's help, in 2024, I want to stop doing blank, right? And with God's help in 2024, I want to start doing this blank, right? whatever it is that will bring me joy. And so we collected those responses, and we've been addressing the most oft-repeated responses that we received. So far, we've looked at worry and anxiety. Last week, we looked at work and rest and what it means to Sabbath in the way of Jesus And today I'm addressing another response that was listed more than uh, the others, and it is this, I want to stop being so critical and judgmental. I was really floored by the honesty and the vulnerability that some of you had, and you you know, I'm not surprised by that, that some of us are critical and judgmental, we all in some way are, but that you would put it to paper. So thank you for doing that, and uh, I hope that this message will be helpful as we seek to overcome that critical and judgmental spirit. You'll see in your bulletin this morning, the sermon summary is this. It's not just our upbringing and experiences that make us critical and judgmental of others. The inclination to accuse and assume the worst about others and to judge them in your heart is rooted in our fallen human nature. And so as disciples of Jesus, we're called to resist those evil impulses and choose love over judgment. Because we'll see this morning, you can't love people and judge them at the same time. Therefore, with the Lord's help, I'm going to invite us this morning to overcome a critical and judgmental spirit with the love of Jesus. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer because I feel we probably need his help today. Father, we ask that you would help us to be honest as we hear the scriptures, as we listen to the message. Would you convict us? We know that conviction is a good thing because it will free us from our bondage and lead us to freedom in the way of Christ. We know that you're not in the business of condemning us or guilting or shaming us, but to set us free. And Lord, we, we thank you that you're that kind of God. So would you speak to us now, for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, would you open up to our main scripture reading in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few Bibles in front of you, or you can open up your Bible app on your phone. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and would you stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of the words of Jesus. 
Matthew 7, beginning with verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Several years ago, in a similar message on today's topic, I referenced this character. Some of you may know him. Judge Dredd. You ever heard of Judge Dredd before? I see a few hands going up. Judge Dredd is a comic book character. Uh, I think it was in the early 80s when we first saw Judge Dredd. There's been actually two movies based on him. Sylvester Stallone uh, was Judge Dredd in the early 90s movie, and then Carl Urban in a more recent movie on Judge Dredd. The story with Judge Dredd is set in a dystopian future. You're probably not surprised by that. A lot of shows are like that today. Uh, Set in the 22nd century, so quite a ways down the road. This is after a global nuclear war where all lawyers have been abolished. No cheering, please. We have lawyers in the room. Good lawyers. Judge Dredd is judge, jury, and executioner. You get this picture. And he's, he's often saying this phrase, I am the law. And try to do it like Stallone. I am the law, you know. So he, anytime somebody has committed a crime, he judges them right on the spot. And the judgments are harsh. So Judge Dredd, I think, this is why he came to my mind when I'm listening to the words of Jesus, because I think he represents the sort of behavior that Jesus is prohibiting in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And you could say that he's calling out the judge dread in each of us. Let's think about the context of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. If you still have your Bibles open, you could look there. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And just kind of see it situated within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. These words of Jesus come in that famous sermon of his, the Sermon on the Mount. And while it may seem that many of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5 through 7 is a hodgepodge of disconnected material, it's actually quite sophisticated in its flow and in its structure. I like how The Chosen, if you've watched that series, uh, it shows Jesus. Now, we don't know if he did this or not, but it's, 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 you know, not too hard to think about him uh, planning out this, this sermon of his. And he, he got Matthew's help in that story in The Chosen to work with that. I'm not going to go into all of the details of the flow and the structure of the Sermon on the Mount today. I just want you to keep in mind that the whole of Jesus' teaching there is about what it looks like for disciples to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. This is what it means when Jesus says in Matthew 6, Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 33, when he says, Seek first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness. 
We tend to think of righteousness sort of as moral goodness or uprightness, but really what Jesus has in mind is being in right relationship with God and right relationship with our neighbor. So all of the Sermon on the Mount could really be thought of in that way. This is what it looks like to be in right relationship to God and right relationship with others. And so being in right relationship with God and others means that we don't criticize and judge others looking down on them with a superior attitude. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rather, let's listen again as we read this passage, this time from the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, contemporary translation. Let's, let's look at this. Listen to the way he, he uh, translates this. Don't pick on people, <laughs> jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging, just, yeah, that's a lovely image, get a picture of a boomerang going out, you throw it, what's going to happen? It's coming back at you. That, that way of boomeranging, it's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face, so he's, he's, he's going from a speck in the eye to a smudge on the face to try to help connect more with our present situation. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. So from speck to log to smudge and sneer. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. One commentator says the key component here is the absence of love. Look at this. Because clearly Jesus says there is a time where you can remove the speck in your own eye or the ugly sneer in your face first and help them. But follow this. There's a way to help others without judging or criticizing them. This admonition has a humility that says... I love you enough to want being superior over others. Um, there's no sense of superiority, no desire to make yourself look good at the expense of another when we come at it this way. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes this in his wisdom epistle, James 4, verses 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. That is, you're putting yourself above the Lord himself. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge, not your inner judge dread. It is the Lord, right? He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Now think about this with me. What are the things that we think and that we say that would qualify as judging others. I'll just help us along here. Maybe some things are already coming to mind, 
but I'll just help us along. I think it looks like this. Things that devalue other people and condemn them. Maybe you're thinking about ways you've treated folks. Just compare it with some of what we're saying here. Things that devalue them or condemn them. Things that make them look bad so you look good. Things that make others think less of them after hearing your criticism. And sometimes we, we offer that criticism so that people will do that. Things that tear people down instead of building them up. Things that are based on your feelings instead of the real facts. Oh, we have a problem with that in our culture today, don't we? Almost, almost so that there isn't such a thing as facts anymore. It's just my feelings. And that's reality. Not, not according to the Scriptures, it isn't. And also things that are just downright petty and not helpful. Maybe even just being mean. Now, have you ever noticed how our minds can constantly judge others? Uh, you ever sort of just mindful of the, the narrative that runs in your head, the thoughts that are, that are going when you sit on a bench, say, in the mall, or maybe at Walmart, or you're in the waiting area at a restaurant? Are you ever just mindful of what goes on through your head? Like, wow, they really thought it was a good idea to leave their house wearing that today? Well, I bet they don't get many dates. And on and on, the judgment machine, the inner judge dread goes, and it gets worse from there, if we're being honest. So what thoughts run through your head? Are you mindful of that? And when you think about that, it it makes sense when we hear Paul say, that as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Jesus, it's necessary for us to learn to take thoughts captive for a variety of reasons. We can't so much help what pops in our head, but we can help what we do with that thought. Amen? So where does this propensity to judge come from? The Bible tells us that this is actually a result of what we call in theology the fall. Now, look, if you would, at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You can open up there uh, in your Bible. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm just going to read through that really quickly for us. There's so much to say about this chapter of Scripture, and I won't be able to say everything that needs to be said, but I, I want us to hearken back to the very beginning when sin enters the picture. Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? As the the tempter comes and poses the question, to question God, to question what God has said. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the one woman replied. It's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. Now, there were two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. That's the one, of course, that she's referring to, but it's curious that she doesn't specifically name it. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. One commentator I was writing, I never noticed this before, uh, pointed out that God did say he, well, they weren't to eat it, but didn't say to touch, not to touch it. 
It seems that Eve, like many of us, try to add on certain boundaries and space to keep us from doing what God asked us not to do. We're commanded against. Verse 4, the serpent said, you won't die. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. That is, the serpent is telling the woman that God is keeping something from you. What's going on here? Well, remember that Genesis 2, the chapter before, already said that we've been made in God's image, but notice that the serpent accuses and casts doubt on God's character, casts doubt on his intentions, his motives, and seeks to entice God's image bearers to take upon themselves the role of creator and judge as only God can do. That is, to know what only God can know. It is only for God to know. This narrative is showing us there is a way to be like God and a way we're not called to be like God. You follow me? You see, the way we're to be like God is in bearing His loving image into the world and caring for creation. That is the way of the tree of life. But we're not called to be like God in terms of our knowing all that God knows. We we are not omniscient and all-knowing. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and taking from that tree is what led to a broken world. It continues, that world continues to listen to the serpent. And we call this sin in Christianity, sin. We still talk about that here at Grantham, by the way. Listen to what Greg Boyd wrote in his book, Repenting of Religion. He says, the essence of sin, according to the Genesis account, is the transgression of this proper boundary. We're not satisfied being godlike in our capacity to love. We also want to become godlike in our capacity to judge, which is how the serpent tempts us. But in aspiring toward the latter, we lose our capacity for the former, for unlike God, we cannot judge and love at the same time. Now, what is, what is love? You know, You've probably heard me say this before. At some point, it'll probably end up in a book, although I probably won't name the person. That wouldn't be nice. Um, I once had a person say to me, David, where in love your enemies does it say not to kill them? That was a real statement. They were being completely serious. How do we define love? Let's not let the culture do it for us. Uh, Let's not let people who are trying to justify violence do it for us. Let's let Jesus do it for us. More specifically, what does this love of God look like in Christ? That's what we should be concerned with. Love is about ascribing unsurpassable and unconditional worth to another at cost to yourself. Let me say that again. Love is about ascribing unsurpassable and unconditional worth to another at cost to yourself. If you think about it, that definition sounds and looks a lot like Jesus. You see, instead, when we judge people, we're robbing people of their worth to ascribe worth and value to ourselves. When we base our opinion about others on what we think and see, which is often contrary to what God has declared about people because of the cross of Christ, we are, in essence, rejecting what God has declared about them for our own fallen perceptions. And this isn't what love looks like. Instead, look at what John says about what love really looks like. You've heard of John 3.16. Well, this is 1 John 3.16. 
And John says, we know what true love looks like because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. He gave his life for us, and he calls us to give our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And if you're in the business of giving your life away for others, well, you can clearly see there's no room to criticize, judge, or condemn, is there? And remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 13, 34, and 35. He said, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. While political policies are important, he didn't say by your politics or by the bumper sticker on your car or your Christian t-shirts or who you voted for or where you park your car on Sunday morning. What Jesus said was, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. So love is clearly the distinguishing mark of a disciple, isn't it? It's the all or nothing of the kingdom. We can work at getting a lot of things right, but if we fail to love, we have missed what Jesus has said about what it means to follow him. Again, we can't judge people and love them at the same time. Listen to how the Apostle Paul thought about judging himself and others. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 5, he said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I kind of think this is Paul's way of saying, I don't care what people think. I, th- there is some aspect of you should care what some people think. If they think that you don't, your life doesn't look like Jesus, you should care about that. And then sometimes as we're faithfully following Jesus, we shouldn't care so much what people think, especially the world. And Paul says, I, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. He's saying, I'm not saying I'm innocent just because I don't care what others think. It's the Lord, though, who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Maybe you're sitting there, you're thinking, uh, wait a minute. All this talk about not judging, doesn't Jesus in the New Testament tell us to make right judgments, right? Is it always wrong to judge or make a judgment? It's a good question, and we need to answer it. What does the Bible say about this in context? Well, real quick, let's consider this, judgment versus discernment. Sometimes I think we we use the word judge or make a judgment, and really what we're referring to is discernment. I think there's a big difference in these. Uh, The Greek word that we translate judgment is krino, which means to separate or put asunder, to judge or to condemn. We get the word critic, critical, criticized from it. To judge people, that is, who is good and evil, is strictly prohibited in the Bible. Only God can separate people. Remember, Jesus himself said one day he's going to do that. He's going to separate what? Sheep and goats. Right, so it, it is God's place to separate people. That, that is, you, have, you are receiving life, uh, and this group is condemned, not receiving life. Those who are the children of God, those who are not the children of God. So knowing what is in their hearts and passing judgment on them, that's only for the Lord. However, in the context where judging involves discerning 
what is good or evil. That is, what is true or false, healthy, unhealthy, what's of the Spirit or what's of the flesh. We're to judge and discern for our good and for the benefit of the body of Christ. It involves, you see, the separating of things. Now, that's real tricky. That's real tricky. We've got to be real careful when we're discerning good from evil, light from darkness, that we're not condemning people. So judging or condemning people is wrong, but judging or discerning good and evil things is right. Hope you see the difference there. A prime example of this is found in Matthew 7, verses 17 through 20. So a few verses later from the passage that we read, Jesus says, likewise, every good tree bears good, what? Fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. That is, if a tree is saying, I'm good, I'm good, I love God, I love my neighbor, I'm a Christian, and yet they're bearing bad fruit, take note. Take note, Jesus says. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Who does the cutting? Well, that's not us. So by their fruit, you will recognize them. You see, Jesus is saying that we can't judge a, that we can rather judge a tree by its fruit, but judgment of the tree itself is for God alone. That's, that's God's doing. In other words, we can discern what is good and evil without cursing or condemning others. And maybe it's, it's hard for us to s- distinguish the difference between the two because we're often in a habit of just doing the one. Furthermore, listen to what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. And this is after Romans chapter 1, which is a challenging chapter to read. You should go and read that sometime especially the ways in which it challenges our culture. But look at what Paul says in the next chapter. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. That's, That's God's judgment. He can do that. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? You see, in chapter 1, a lot of folks are concerned about God judging those people. And so here in chapter 2, he says, watch out, pump your brakes, have the right heart and attitude about this, remember that you're also a sinner. Don't take, it, don't take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and try to do what isn't yours to do. How can we then pump the brakes? How, how, or maybe even stop completely before running someone over with our thoughts and our words? Well, the Apostle Paul said it begins with the way you see yourself. To his young Padawan learner, Timothy, Paul wrote these words. He said, this is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Look at that. I am the worst of them all. And how would having this view of yourself be helpful? After all, if you haven't noticed, we're living in a very narcissistic, self-centered, hyper-individualistic culture that likely hears this verse from Paul 
promoting self-loathing or self-hatred or something worse, which I don't think that's what Paul is doing, but it should, it should stop us to consider, huh, that's different than what I hear in the world. What does he mean? And we should acknowledge this, this view of oneself that Paul is espousing and encouraging us to espouse is radically countercultural in American society and culture today. No doubt. So let's get it right. Because this is how we begin to overcome a critical and judgmental spirit. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot some of this down or take a picture on your phone even. Number one, here's how we overcome a critical and judgmental spirit. We get in touch with our own sinfulness and belovedness. That, that was put that way intentionally. You see, I have found in my experience as a pastor almost 25 years that people who are the most critical and judgmental, often, not always, but often, have a very low view of themselves. And let me take it a little bit further. They have not seen themselves rightly in the eyes of the Lord. So, and if you walk around feeling guilty and shamed all the time that you're not good enough, that I don't know how God could love me, how do you think you're going to treat others? Right? You just project the very own feelings that you have about yourself with inside. And so this is why we're saying get in touch with your own sinfulness. Some of you say, well, I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) I get that part, but don't stop there. Get in touch with your own sinfulness, but also your belovedness. belovedness. The way we do this is we regularly confess our sins. It's one of several reasons I can think of to regularly confess your sins lest you think that you're above and superior to someone else. And also, though, to in that moment receive God's grace and forgiveness. And how is that going to compel you, right, to treat other people? If you know who you are, Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners, but yet you don't stop there. You move into God's grace and forgiveness. Therefore, what will you be able to give to others that you encounter who are just like you. That same grace and forgiveness. Number two, how do we overcome a critical and judgmental spirit? Get in tune with God's heart for your neighbors and enemies. So one, get in touch with your own sinfulness and belovedness. And two, get in tune with God's heart for your neighbors and your enemies. One way we can do this, and Jesus told us this, is he said, you've heard it said, right, um, to love your neighbor, hate your enemy, I tell you what, love your enemies, and then what? Pray for those who persecute you. Why would Jesus say that? Well, they do need our prayers, that's true. But also by praying for those that we see or experience as our enemies, it changes our heart toward them. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to try it. And watch what happens. Oh, it might not happen overnight. But if you, this works with anybody. If you're praying for somebody, they're on your mind more, but you're putting them in the light of the Lord and His love, and you want, you, you tend to want over time what is best for them, what is good for them. May even help you to sympathize with where they're at and why they are where they are, why they, why they are treating you the way they are. So this can help us to humble ourselves, to sympathize, to see people the way that God sees them, and to ultimately change 
the, the bend of our heart. Don't you, don't you want that? This is how we access this ability to love our neighbor, but also our enemy, by praying for those who we see as enemies. Pray for the one you're upset with. Pray for the one that you're, you're, you're critical of and tempted to judge in your heart. So get in touch with your own sinfulness and belovedness. Get in tune with God's heart for your neighbors and enemies. And get going, number three, get going with discernment, but leave judgment with God. And the way I think we do this is, as we referenced earlier, take those thoughts captive. Right? You can't help what pops into your head, but you can help what you do with that thought. It works that way with a lot of things. Jesus talked about this with lust there in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one thing to say that person's attractive. It's another thing to let those thoughts continue to run. Same thing here. It's one thing to think something critical or judgmental. It's another thing to own it, embrace it, make it a part of you, listen to the lies of the serpent. So take those thoughts captive. Hold it out away from yourself. Say, Lord, is this thought pleasing to you? Are you wanting me to discern something here? Help me to discern what is good or what is evil, what's right or wrong, what's good fruit or bad fruit. But Lord, help me not to criticize, condemn, or to judge another. Help me to separate things, not people. Help me to trust, as you said, vengeance is mine. Help me to trust, as Paul had said, that in the end, the Lord will sort it all out. Amen. Get in touch, church, with your own sinfulness and belovedness. Get in tune with God's heart for your neighbors and enemies. And three, get going with discernment, believe judgment with God. Because ultimately, and I think we all know this, when we don't do that, it, it hinders God's very life in us. Finally, here are some questions for reflection and to help us respond. I'll just throw the question out there and give you a little space uh, to talk with the Lord about it. What is God saying to you about these questions for reflection and response? Number one, let's personalize it. Have I been critical and judgmental of others? Maybe, maybe there's some people coming into your mind. Have my thoughts and words condemned or demeaned anyone? Let the Lord speak to you. And and if people are coming to your mind, you've been critical, you've been judgmental, you've condemned or demeaned, I ask ask us together to repent of that. Lord, I confess it. Lord, help me to do better. Help me to discern, not to judge. Number two, am I in touch with my own sinfulness? Can I honestly say with Paul, I am the worst. Worse than that person? Yes. Are you in touch with your own sinfulness? 
And do, do you regularly confess your sins to God and receive his forgiveness? If not, I encourage you to do that. Make that a regular part of your, your prayer times. Lastly, number three. How is the Spirit speaking to me about taking my thoughts captive? Being discerning and leaving judgment with Him. Recognize in our society and culture today, if you pay attention to the news, if you listen to podcasts, if you love that favorite YouTube channel of yours, whatever it is, our society and culture is trapped in this. Canceling, condemning, operating out of feelings, not facts. And we're being called as God's people by the power of Jesus to do better. And we can with the Spirit's help. Amen? We can be the light of the world a city on a hill. And the whole world will know that we are Christ's disciples, that the gospel is true by the way we love others. Let's do that. Father, we ask for your help in confessing that we are the worst of sinners. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to know your grace and your forgiveness for our sins. Oh, Lord, that it would propel us to love others the way you love them to seek the kingdom and your righteousness, to be in right relationship with you and with others. Help us to do that, Lord. Set us free from the poison that we drink that is called bitterness. That it's called a critical and judgmental spirit. We repent of it. And we turn to you, Jesus. Give us power to follow in your way. Raise up your church for such a time as this. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.